Young people are often the target of unflattering media attention, and when they behave badly, can cause fear in the community. But are young people too quickly painted as a problem that needs fixing? Last year, Sheree McQuilkin looked at some of the factors that can influence the behaviour of young people, and what can determine how they deal with adverse events. We'll make a start. Make sure you're clear about something about the first assignment, OK? Dr Fiona Beals is speaking to dozens of students in a lecture theatre at Wellington's Victoria University. Her position in its School of Education defies the gloomy outlook one teacher had for her future. It was the first day of school and my class, when we didn't know each other, were all put into a room. The teacher got us to stand up for different things and he got people to stand up if they had a solo parent, stand up if they lived in the state housing block, stand up if they were known to social welfare and stand up if they were country kids. Now I had three of those factors, so I stood up. And then he said to us, don't worry about coming to school. You're probably not going to pass anyway. So that motivated me into proving him wrong although the four other boys that stood up with me had all left school before they were 16. Today, her students have been looking at the way the media portray young people. Dr Beale says they're demonised, making others in the community more reluctant to forge caring relationships with them. It was one such relationship that helped fuel her drive to move beyond the expectations of her high school teacher. It actually was an elderly woman in the community that my mother took me round to see and who actually said to me, what do you want to do with your life? Where do you want to go? And I just said I wanted to be an archaeologist and I'm not here as an archaeologist now, but as one of my lecturers told me at the university here, I'm an archaeologist of knowledge now. Researchers refer to the ability to overcome adversity as resilience. Lloyd Martin's the coordinator of Praxis, a network that supports youth workers. He says adult contact is important when building resilience in young people. If you're listening to this as a more or less well-adjusted person, some psychologists say that it's because we've had an average of six adults who cared for us during our teenage years, who believed in us and thought the world of us, and who weren't our parents. They may have been a member of our extended family, a teacher, a sports coach, a youth leader, but we're supposed to have had six. Lloyd Martin says any adult in contact with a young person is either stripping or building their resilience. Paediatrician Peter Watson says that that may help people to understand why some youth seem to cope with adversity better than others. In other areas of medicine, we know that not all people or individuals exposed to the same risk develop the health problem for that. So a good example is infectious disease, such things as meningococcal meningitis where we that bug may be carried by numbers of people in a household but that not all individuals who are exposed to that actually develop the disease so there's an individual susceptibility to that infection at a particular point in time and we think that's a lot that is similar to problems that young people face when they're experiencing these negative environments around them. He led a survey of just under 10,000 high school students in 2001 by the Auckland University Research Group, Youth 2000. Of students that had been frequently physically hurt by others, more than 60% of the boys and more than 75% of the girls had not repeated the cycle. But Fiona Beale says those aren't figures that are likely to be heard in an election year. I think the key stereotype is youth are a problem. What does the youth look like? When we hear youth are a problem, I do think that, unfortunately, that sometimes the first thing we see is a young man. And the second thing we see is probably if that, that young man might be Polynesian or Māori. 
I think that that would be what that stereotype tends to conjure up in our head, although we do tend to then extrapolate that to all young people. In January, National Party leader John Key made his State of the Nation speech, advocating army-style training for serious young offenders. He described some youth as being on a fast track to puremuremu. The habit of the Clark government is always to shy away from these problems. They prefer to poke their noses into the lives of good parents while ignoring the ticking time bombs right in front of them. National is not alone. New Zealand First wants the age of criminal responsibility lowered from 14 to 12 for serious offences. While Labour has promised to keep students in some sort of compulsory education until the age of 18. Dr Beale says government, media and academic reports are too quick to paint young people as a problem that needs fixing. Someone such as the young people in the case of Michael Choi, they were bound to go off the rails, whereas the actual statistics suggest that there are thousands of young people out there with risk factors in their lives. But most of those young people go on to live normal lives and now focus on trying to find all the factors that make things go wrong actually ends up making us blind to all the factors that actually make things go right. Next Friday is dubbed National Hoodie Day. Sarah Helm from New Zealand Aotearoa Adolescent Health and Development says the garments come to represent troublemakers. They're a sweatshirt with a hood on (laughs) and it's really fascinating to me that that can be therefore translated into something negative. Lots of people wear them, not just young people. I wear hoodies and I'm well into my 30s now unfortunately. Coastland's shopping mall on the Carpety Coast has hit the headlines for banning people wearing the garment with the hood worn up. I'm not sure how widespread that shopping mall issue actually really is. I think that again was a media story. I know that one mall was referred to and what the concern was was people wearing their hoods up on their hoodies because they couldn't be identified easily. I I mean I don't think that's entirely unreasonable but there is an element of discrimination in there. You know why ban that as opposed to any other hat or headwear. Hoodie Day is part of National Youth Week, which has an emphasis on encouraging the community relationships that are seen as vital when building resilience in young people. But Sarah Helm says these relationships are only possible if older people look beyond the stereotype. Partly it's rooted in truth. Young people are committing crimes. The public is concerned about it, the media reports it, they report it a lot because you want to get the lead story. Politicians are forced therefore to respond to it and if they don't respond to it they seem to be being negligent of their duties anyway. But in part that sort of whips up a frenzy and you end up with a situation where, you know, I really worry about older people being concerned and in their homes frightened (laughs) that young people are coming to get them or, you know, that sort of fear stuff when I don't actually think that it's rooted in very much truth. This month the country's top youth court judge Andrew Beecroft said violent offending by young people was climbing. Sarah Helms says youth crime exists but so does offending by older age groups and no one's suggesting military style training for them. If we had a spate of crime amongst my age group, the 30-something-year-olds, you wouldn't suddenly have a whole lot of stuff talking about taking driving licences away from us. I've seen in the past curfews being suggested. You would not have any of that stuff. Sarah Helms says the focus of politicians and the media on one topic can create a them-and-us mentality. She says the spraying of graffiti has become big news since an adult allegedly killed a 15-year-old suspected of tagging in South Auckland. 
We're looking at a recent article in the Weekend Dominion Post about another young tagger. An adult had held him down and taken his pen off him and marked him and had tagged him, like physically held him down and written all over this young person. And there was a bit more to that. You know, the young person had resisted, had refused to stop doing what he was doing, etc. But the total of the article was basically this victorious picture of this adult who'd done this to this young person and it talked about uh, crowds standing around cheering for him for what he was doing to this young person and I found that really alarming you know I mean I don't think this young person was behaving well by any means but for it to be okay for somebody to take a criminal matter into their own hands and to react to what is essentially a minor albeit really irritating you know crime which is tagging or graffiti with a violent abuse of a person I see that as being quite disturbing and a really disturbing trend that that's being talked about in the media as being acceptable or by anybody as being acceptable response. So you've got this picture on the front page of the victorious adult that's held the young person down and tagged them. Mm. Is that sort of buying into this whole line that you know, there's a growing tide of youth crime and we have to stand up to it. Where is the evidence that graffiti or tagging has gotten any worse? I think it's always been there. I've not noticed anything get worse. And I don't think there's ever been any studies done on graffiti or tagging. So I find it really interesting that it's become such a focus. And every election year we seem to have a population that's selected to be the population that we're all going to wring our hands about and what do we do about these people well actually young people are voters mostly you know everyone over 18 is or will be so they should actually be being spoken to and talked to as voters as opposed to being treated as if they're a scourge on society that needs to be cured Nationals leader John Keyes also suggested that training camps would go hand-in-hand with wraparound support services for young people. Lloyd Martin says there's a difference between informal relationships and professional intervention, the difference between what he describes as care and cure. When you think back to the six people, they were people who cared for us, who took time out for us, who believed in us, who gave us space to try things. You know, that old African proverb, it takes a whole village to bring up a child. That's our village, those people. When that network of care breaks down, the problems that we sometimes associate with young people around drug and alcohol abuse, gang involvement, self-harm and so on, often cause our society to surround those young people with networks of cure. A young person who doesn't have adults who care for them gets surrounded by professional adults who are trying to fix them. If they do their job well, then yeah, that contributes to the resiliency of a young person. But mostly, I mean, my hunch is that resiliency is built more by care. Garth Baker, project manager for promoting youth non-violence, says there's a place for professional interventions which work for all but a minority of young people. But he questions the effectiveness of short-term training camps, saying it's long-term relationships that have an impact on a young person's life. He says they're often informal. Might be the guy that's fixing the engine and the whole conversations about cars, but in fact what's happening is the positive relationship that build up. The young men are learning about a way to be in the world, how to communicate, how to cooperate, how to deal with difficulties. 
Garth Baker says young people begin to look outside the family unit for possible identities from the onset of adolescence, testing skills learnt in the first seven years of their lives. Adolescence is a time of testing. That's what they need to do. They're trying out boundaries. If they come into adolescence and they don't have any boundaries and structure around them, then they're going to have to act up more and more to find where the edge is and to define themselves. So if kids have had an early difficult life, when they get to adolescence, I think it's important that they have clear boundaries around them, positive adults involved in their life, and real meaningful opportunities to test themselves out with consequences that come into play quite quickly. In the absence of other opportunities, young people may use violence to test themselves against others. If that isn't prevented, he says it reinforces the belief that conflict is solved through violence rather than cooperation. Young people, particularly young men, need the opportunity to test themselves physically, so sport, outdoor activities is a key thing. They need to go into situations where they need to form new relationships with other people and get on. Saturday afternoon and more than a hundred spectators are watching young men test themselves on a rugby field in South Auckland. We're looking at our reserve grade, the Manurua Premier Firsts, playing against Bay Roskill. Had a good start to the game, half time and the boys are up by five tries so they're playing pretty confident football today. Coach Rusty Matua says the Manurewa club is the biggest in New Zealand, with players starting as young as four. The site is a hub for the community, which he says has a low socioeconomic status and a high rate of gang membership. But he says players quickly learn their team is a family you don't let down, affecting behaviour on and off the field. We've got comments back from partners, girlfriends, saying how much of a positive impact football has had on their lives. We see people coming home talking about positive and simple ideals, and it's overwhelming for the mums and for the girlfriends to hear their sons or their partners talk like this. Simon Murray joined the club almost five years ago and is now a member of its top team. He says it's changed the way he lives. Staying out of trouble, staying off the streets, spending time with family, working, and yeah, just keeping in line with law. The 25-year-old says it's brought him into contact with others in the community. We've got all the support here, all the league boys and coach, family, friends, and all the boys' parents. They're like your parents as well, so, and it's changed yeah, a lot of my life. So. What about coaches like Rusty? Do they have a part to play in that? Yeah, they do, actually. Yeah. He's a good role model for everybody. And now all these younger kids are watching you. Yeah, I was once one of those little kids, and pretty much, yeah, it feels pretty good. So it's like a family atmosphere. Is that what makes the difference? Yep, pretty much. Oh, everything. Just being at league impact sports. No, yeah, it's great. Ooh. You're not friends on the field, but when you come off the field, you're like best buds. Lloyd Martin from Praxis says sports can be helpful when it comes to fostering some aspects of resilience. A young person involved in a sport, I mean, we've all heard the cliches, you know, if they play sport, they don't get in trouble and so on. And I think that's certainly true. And if you picked a sport like watching those kids play rugby league, then being in a team meets four needs. One, it gives them a sense of belonging. Two, they have an opportunity to master skills and become competent at aspects of their sport. Three, they take responsibility. And four, working in a team situation builds generosity because you're playing as part of a team, you're thinking about the other person. The Manurewa Club's premier team won the Auckland Championship in 2005 and repeated the victory last year. 
The organisation's growing so fast, the local council's helping to fund the construction of a new multi-sport facility. Rusty Martua credits the family values and sense of belonging captured in the club's black, gold and red colours. And you use them because they're a symbol of who you are, they help to identify you. And everyone's proud of wearing their colours down here and, and I guess it's much better than wearing your, your black towel or your mongrel mob colours and that's something we spoke about our boys. There's only one gang here, it's the Manurua Marlins. When you're here, these are our colours. Leaving gang colours behind is also the theme further south at a programme in Porirua, north of Wellington. founder for Streets Ahead 237. My mother comes from a village called Luffy Luffy in Western Samoa. It's an oratory village. Her name is Tilesa Mailei, which is a very renowned family. My father, his name is Afa Potor. He comes from a village called Vailima, where Robert Louis Stevenson wrote the book Treasure Island. Former gang member Wayne Potoa runs Streets Ahead 237, which holds five week-long programs a year. Based at the Marairoa Marai Health Clinic, it targets youth gang members, taking 60 participants in each programme. Each one leaves his or her colours at the door. Four of them talk to me about what that means to them. I drop my colours, but I still got to see my mates around. It's good that i got the support of my family around and streets ahead. What would happen if you didn't have your family or your streets ahead? When it comes to gang life, it's about a sense of belonging to something. Being part of a gang is like being part of a different family. Dane Pau, Briley Miley, Courtney Portoa and Zach Miley are old boys. Streets Ahead members who've served on the youth committee that organises each programme. Wayne Portoa says their Brothers Not Colours slogan is about connecting with something other than gang life. I think of my parents and their journey here and they came here to give us a better education and a better life. Did that journey work? Has it fulfilled the legacy? Have we contributed to our parents' struggle by reaching the outcomes that they wanted in the first place? And sadly, that's not the case. So through this program, we go around connecting them back to their culture and fulfilling that journey. Dane Pau says there's another story to youth crime that goes untold in the media. To be honest, I reckon they're all just misunderstood. Like, if you look at their backgrounds and, you know, where they were raised, I mean, we've got some kids that come in that have been abused a lot. All our group that I know, they're really good kids there. And the group is unimpressed with the stereotype of the hoodie-clad problem youth. Some of the youth walk into a shop and they've got hoodies on and the shopkeeper or the workers will watch them like crazy, you know, just like they're just going to grab something and run, which maybe it does happen some days, but not all youth are like that. It's like saying Peter Jackson's poor because of yeah. the way he dresses. Coastlands Mall that's banned the hoodies? If I walk through with my hood up, do you reckon that'd stop me? <laughs> <laughs> you might get told to take it off, but I don't see that happening. Yeah. Why not? Because you're young. <laughs> <laughs> and you're old. Yeah, because I'm really old. <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm not old, but like... No, I am. Okay, <laughs> Some of the group want to be youth workers, roles they already carry out voluntarily. Spontaneous haka from the audience mark the graduation of students at Tawananga o Aotearoa in Porirua. Leona Tira has just completed the three-year Bachelor of Social Work and says she's celebrating the end of a long journey. You know, from the age of 13 to 15, I was here, then, everywhere, getting into a lot of things that were no good, into the drug scene, into drinking and taking off from home, not because 
My family life was horrible. My parents chased me. They didn't give up on me. And it took a few years of chasing. Yeah, but I think it turned out all right. <laughs> Leona Tira says parents, teachers, sports coaches, youth workers and social workers supported her through her rocky teenage years. Now a social worker for Evolve Youth Service in Wellington's central city, she knows the importance of surrounding young people with caring adults. We're helping them find accommodation, getting them on a benefit, supporting them and taking them to wins, helping them make the appointment, filling out application forms, finding furniture for a young person that's just moved into a place. It's about reconnecting them with family members. It's about supporting young people with just issues and needs and wants that they are going through, taking them to other appointments, seeing a psychologist or going to get a scan. What happens if they don't have family they can go and connect with? Well, for a short time. It's not usually a long time, but for a short time we become their family. Lloyd Martin says a concern for others in a young person is an important sign of resilience. One of the greatest predictors of resiliency is a young person's ability to be generous. One of the ways we contribute to building resiliency in young people is not by entertaining them, but by giving them opportunities to give something back. Young people are often generous in distorted ways when there are not healthy outlets for generosity. They share their smokes or so on. But as somebody looking at a young person that I would be working with, I'd be looking for signs that they have a sense of generosity no matter how distorted it is at the moment because if I could see that, if I could see that they care about someone or something else, there's hope. He says it's impossible to see and foster strengths like generosity without first hearing a young person's story. She was one of a set of twins. Her father committed suicide when she was very young as a baby. Her mother had some very significant mental health issues and as a result of the suicide of her father, the mother favoured the brother, the boy twin. This wee babe girl was pretty much left in her cot for I think the first 18 months of her life. Andrea McKenzie, the manager of youth services at Wesley Community Action, describes the early experience of a 14-year-old who arrived at one of the Trust's foster homes. Not only were there physical challenges as a result of being an active, the most formative you know, physical years of her development, but emotionally she had significant attachment issues because there was no bonding, no attachment to that maternal influence in her life. When she came to stay with us, she was a very withdrawn, very anxious young girl who felt sorely the rejection of her family. Lindsay Barr is waking up her 10-year-old foster child. She's a foster parent under the umbrella of Wesley Community Action, which looks after children referred by child, youth and family. The trust runs a home able to take three teenage boys, another for girls, and up to eight foster homes like this one for individual children aged 10 to 17. I don't think he has had any role models within his family or, or wider family. Coming into Wesley, he's you know having his mentor and brothers and sisters and teachers. He's got a male teacher who's been absolutely marvellous with him. And also he goes along to rugby training and he's got all the, the boys from college. 
The trust, which operates in the Greater Wellington region, says foster parents try to pick up the pieces for children who've never had positive adult role models. Andrea McKenzie says every young person she's met in 20 years of frontline social work has shown resilience. You get these kids who really, on paper, come across as being incredibly scary. And why would anyone want them living with them? And is it no surprise that they're in care because they read on paper as being incredibly dysfunctional and out of control and a threat to community and you meet them and they have two legs and two arms and two eyes just like the rest of us and they have the ability to form really good relationships so resilience is probably a word that I would consistently use to describe the young people that I've had the pleasure to meet. She said staff worked with a 14-year-old girl described earlier by nurturing constructive relationships with extended family and encouraging her talent in the arts. My last news of her was a couple of years ago that she was in her very early 20s, was at university studying and was about to get married and was a really settled and happy young woman and it's extraordinary given the, the experiences that she had at such an early age. Dr Fiona Beals says the effect positive relationships can have challenges the impression conveyed by the media that some young people are doomed from birth. An intervention that's been seen to be very effective over in Australia has been actually connecting young people around 10 and 11 with elderly people. And it's been shown that it does two things. One, it actually allows young people to see that these elderly people are not fuddy-duddies. They've got something to share They've got a moment of wisdom. They've got things to make connections with. And the old people themselves are finding out that young people aren't someone to be afraid of. It's been shown to have a huge effect, not just on stereotypes, but on young people's engagement in education and on young people's hopes for the future because they learn things from the elderly people that they wouldn't have learnt even in the classroom. Leona Tira agrees, saying long-term caring relationships with young people can provide them with a vision for the future. Thanks to her parents and other supportive adults, that's something she knows about firsthand. 44 years old and I've passed my degree and I didn't do it on my own. All those significant others that spoke through my life over those 44 years, I see it as their degree as well, not just mine. They were the ones that helped me. You know, I sat on their shoulders for a long time. I was carried a lot. I was encouraged a lot. And now I've come out of it. You know, I want to do my master's now. I want to do a PhD. That programme was written and presented by Sheree McQuilkin. It was first broadcast in May.